We're continuing into our series called Mastermind. Uh, this week three, we have one more week after this. And um, so far, uh, we've really kind of focused on this idea that we will move in the direction of our strongest thought. That what you think will come out of you in what you do. And so over the last two weeks, we've kind of looked at this idea of um, finding our greatest stronghold, this thing in us, this lie in us that's shaping things that we're doing that we don't want to be doing, and claiming a truth in Scripture to reframe that um, into or out of the line into the truth. And last week we talked about this idea that it's not going to come easy. You're going to have to train yourself out of bad habits of thinking. And a lot of ways you do that is you take the Word of God, you allow it to begin to shape and mold how you think about yourself. You don't let the lie define who you are. You let the Lord define who you are by what He says about you. And so this week we're going to talk about this idea of reframing. And my, my little statement is, how you frame the story matters. We can have the same things happen to us, and people can respond completely different to that. So, I, I want to you know, ask a question again, the no raise hands. I, I said that, and somebody actually wrote that on Facebook sometime this week. I don't remember. It's like, you know, we can raise... Oh, she's not here. Um... Um, talking about raising hands. So, so just in, in, mentally, how has it been? So if you've now acknowledged, hey, there's some things in my thinking that I want to change, and you've actually started to, like, I want to name these, like, how's it going? Don't raise your hand, don't say anything. Um, but, like, how's that going? You know, let me, let me answer for you. It's probably going hard in a sense that uh, the lies didn't get embedded in your life overnight, and the truths won't get embedded in your life in your life overnight you're going to have to work those in you're going to have to continue remember week 1 we talked about this out of 2 Corinthians 10 verses 3 through 5 this is Paul when he's talking about shaping our thoughts it says for though we walk in the flesh we are not waging war according to the flesh for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Those are those lies that we've been talking about, these things in our life that are keeping us in that position. And then in verse 5, he talks about how. He says, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Every thought I don't know if you've counted them, but you have lots of thoughts that happen all day long. And it is very difficult to manage all of those thoughts that come through your brain. I can just tell you, I've had a hard time managing all the thoughts that run through my brain. But I am doing better at going, at least acknowledging, no, no, that's not for here, not for now. So this week we're going to look at reframing and how we take our framework and change it so we can participate in our story a little better. So a broken framework. So remember how we talked about these things called neural neural pathways. As you begin to do something over and over again, begin to think a way, a certain way, you be you set a neural neural God, I'm gonna struggle with that word. You set brain pathways, <laughs> neural pathways, and they get embedded in, in your brain, just like us at times, likes the path of least resistance. So your brain's going to think and do in the way that you're 
trained it to go. And so if we're going to change our neural pathways, we've got to do something different. So um, pathways in our brain that have we've created for from years of bad habits and bad thinking, the framework uh, that we're going to talk about today is called cognitive biases, mental filters and framework. I'm going to explain that a little bit. So cognitive bias. Like, did anybody talk about your cognitive biases this week? You probably did. You just didn't know that they were cognitive biases. But a cognitive bias is, is a mistake in reasoning based on personal preference or beliefs. This way of thinking. Let me, let me just tell you, let you a little bit into my life. Okay, so um, not only did I struggle uh, in middle school, I had some learning disabilities that uh, you know, made it a little difficult for me, and I felt like I got teased about those. Uh, but in the middle of that, I went to the eye doctor. You might see where I'm going, and this is nothing about glasses. Do not take this. I went to the eye doctor, and I found out I had astigmatism. And astigmatism was causing me headaches when I read. So, like, you know, they, I got glasses. And in my mind, my cognitive biases to glasses was glasses, and I'm not, I'm not putting this, I'm just talking about me, glasses were nerdy. And so as a middle schooler that's always already struggling with his self-image, remember um, Pillsbury Doughboy for those that remember the stories, I mean, I was always, already struggling and I got these gold frame glasses and in my brain, I was like, oh, this is pushing me over the edge. And needless to say, I rarely wore the glasses because I was more concerned of what I thought about the glasses that were framed around that. So why do people respond differently to the same exact scenario? And if you're married, you've seen this. You're, same thing happens in front of the husband and wife, and, and they respond completely differently. How they respond, like one gets angry and the other's like, oh, no big deal. Uh, usually the dad gets angry and the mom's like, I've seen it all. <laughs> like, we can do it. And, but it's, it is our cognitive bias. It's the way we think and feel about that moment. So if we change the filter or the framework, we can change our response. And this is also work. So reframing creates a different way of looking at a situation, a person or a relationship by changing its meaning. Filters change everything. And for the younger generation, filters make you look better. Own your pictures. How many filters do you go through? Like, oh, no, oh, oh look at that lighting. Mm, gonna brightness, ah, you know, glow, sparkle on the cheeks. The filter changes the way the picture looks. Uh, let me give you another example. Um, years ago, probably 12 years ago, uh, I felt kind of uh, convicted coming back from a mission trip and uh, really felt God was calling me to fast. And I have not fasted a ton, but like I felt like God called me to this longer fast than I'd ever done. And I really believe that it was God-ordained. I mean, just because every time I tried to fast before, for those that have fasted before, it's like the first three days are like, put me in the dungeon and don't get near me for sure. Because coming off that sugar high and your car, I mean, like everything, it just kind of crashed. And so I felt like God was really like all in my world. Like I could feel him and experience him so much more during that 21 days of just like reshaping and remolding me. There was like my devotion, everything 
was changing to me because in those moments, I was, I was, my framework was completely different. And so let me tell you a little story. Um, my wife and I used to have an ongoing, <laughs> I did approve this beforehand, so I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to frame this story really well. Uh, my wife and I had, I had an ongoing kind of argument every spring around the money that we spent on flowers that we put in our front yard. You may have heard this story. And um, my argument, we had, we lived in the sand hills, and it was a lot of pine trees, and like grass didn't grow, like nothing. So I'm not blaming it on my wife completely, um, but like things just died. I'm not framing her at all. That was, I was trying, I'm trying to frame it better, guys. Um, and so, we, you know, in the spring, Jody's like, oh, I want our house to look cute, and I want our flowers. And so every year we'd have this reoccurring kind of argument where we would spend X amount of dollars on flowers and Said flowers wouldn't live long. I'm just like, let's just throw money out in the front yard. Um, and we would fight about it. Like, why are we doing this? And every year we'd have this ongoing thing because, you know, there's a year between spring to spring. So it's like, I forget how stupid I was last spring. And then I re-engage this year. And literally in the middle of this, Jody's like that morning, she's like, hey, I'm going to go to Lowe's and I'm going to get some flowers for our front yard. And I didn't say anything, you know, because typically I'd, I would start the argument there, like, mm, here we go again. Um, and she pulled, so she left the house for a little bit and she came back in. She backed up and opened up the back of our van and had the flowers in there. And literally, I felt like the Holy Spirit allowed me to see my intention, which I don't see all the time. Because sometimes we just, we just let our mouth run off and we're like, oh, I, I was completely innocent in that. It just happened. Can we say that? Like, I didn't mean it that way. Well, in, in my heart, like, I felt this line of thought come up to go ask her how much they cost, which seemed innocent. It was like, there was no big deal. Like, I was just going to want to know what she spent, you know, because the hell with the budget. No. So like, I really felt the Holy Spirit let me see that, that the framework of that question wasn't anything about how much she spent. It was the beginning of an argument. And I honestly felt the Holy Spirit just say, stop. And I didn't say anything, and we planted those flowers together, and I don't remember if they live longer, I don't know. But the point is, it didn't matter. If you change the framework, the same scenario, you, how it ends up completely changes. And so today, I'm going to spend a little bit of time talking about Paul. And talking about how he changed his framework, how he literally took a scenario that if we would look at it in our in one lens, it would be the worst scenario in the world or through his lens. And we're going to see what he actually says. But let me lead up to this. So this is Philippians um, chapter one, verses 12 through 14 is what we're going to talk about. But let me talk about leading up to this. Paul, um, as you may or may not know, was a Jew who was zealous for God. And his mission was to destroy the early church because he believed they were the enemy. They were the ones that were polluting the word of God. And he wanted to do everything in his power, even per, not per, well participating um, in the stoning of Stephen. He was there holding the coat. He was there approving of this. This was Paul. And so in the middle of this, for those that feel like all those people out in the world that you continue to pray for thinking, oh, you know, I don't know that the Holy Spirit can ever get a hold of them. Here's Paul wanting to destroy the church. God 
chose him. God says, you will be my instrument to the Gentiles. Knocked him off his horse. Completely changed his framework. Made him from an antagonist, a destroyer of the church, to one that would build the church for the rest of his life. Well, fast forward a little bit. Paul's ultimate goal in ministry was to preach the gospel in Rome. And I'm not trying to speculate, but like his, I'm assuming his position here was that if he could preach the gospel in Rome, if he can change, this was their known world, if he could change the, the, the head, the, the um, epicenter of the known world, if he could change them for the gospel, it would influence and change their world. And so that was his goal. His goal was like, I'm going to go to Rome. I'm going to preach the gospel. And you see him talk about like this. I am going here. Well, in the middle of that goal, which you would think that's a great goal. Why would God not just automatically open up the doors and let him go right in? In the middle of that goal, he gets arrested. I don't know if you remember his trial, but he um, they were literally trying to kill him even after he had been arrested and he appeals to Caesar, and they take him on a ship as a prisoner to Rome, and he was imprisoned. Most of the writings that we have that were written by Paul were written while he was in prison. Even Philippians, which is a book on joy, was written from a prison cell. And literally, Paul was under 24-hour guard In every eight hours, he had a new guard that was chained to his person, perspective. So you could look at this through the framework of going, everything is ruined. My my vision for what I felt like God called me to do is completely thrown out. He could be angry and bitter. I mean, it would be a completely different New Testament if Paul didn't change his framework. And so let's, let's look at what he says. So in verse 12. And he's writing the church about his imprisonment. This is what this is. In verse 12, he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest of my imprisonment, all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Completely different story. I mean, how many things have happened to us that we frame it one way and miss potentially the opportunity for what God is saying? Because ultimately, God put him in this position. Ultimately, every single, what he's saying is that throughout the whole imperial guard, he had an eight-hour sermon every day, every eight hours with a new guard. And can you imagine being this close to a, someone zealous for the kingdom of God, who decided not to pout and whine about his imprisonment, but use it. So much so that there was family members of, the, the, uh, of Caesar that claimed Jesus as their Lord and Savior because of his imprisonment. This is during that. See, what, what would happen to us? I mean, like things happen to us. We get a flat tire. So, you know, it's raining on Mother's Day. I thought about it. Like, it was 930. It's Mother's Day. But you deserve rest. I'm not saying you don't. But then, then the clouds come up and I'm like, man, it's going to rain. Everybody's going to be like, oh, I don't want to get out in the rain. And I mean, just 
framing it one little way differently changes that. See, Paul had a captive audience every eight hours, and he, pro- he did not waste one minute of it. In verse 14, it says, And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So not only is the temple guard being changed by Paul's imprisonment, But his imprisonment is encouraging the church. See, the other, everybody else's framework, if Paul wasn't writing what he was writing, could have been changed to like, okay, they imprison you if you preach. I think most of us, if if it became precedent that you go to jail, if you talk about the name of Jesus, would not talk about the name of Jesus. We'd be like, no, 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 I don't want jail, but here's... Here's Paul writing them a letter saying it is to the benefit so much so that it's emboldening their proclamation of the gospel because their framework around what they're doing completely changed. It wasn't like, oh, we got to be careful. We can't go to jail. They're going, it's worth it. Because they're hearing Paul from prison speak to them through a framework that is completely changed. And so what do we do? What do we do with these things that are inside of us? These frameworks that we're completely, for the most part, ignorant of. Like a lot of our prejudices that we don't even know that we have until something comes into our brain or out of our mouth are cognitive biases that we've allowed to take shape in there. And some of these things that we think and believe are in these that we've got to change our framework. So here are some things that I think we can do, the application to change this. So number one is thank God for what didn't happen. You've probably heard this story. I've heard it a couple of times. It's not my story. Um, I'm not the originator of it. But there was a girl who came home during the middle of the semester from college. And she had some news to tell her parents. And she comes to her parents. She sits them down. She goes, i got to tell you some stuff. She said, I met a guy during the semester. Um, he works, you know, um, at a grocery store. Got a real good job, stocking shelves. We have fallen in love. And we had a little accident. And I'm now pregnant. But we've decided that we're going to get married. And everything's going to be all right. He's going to get another job at another grocery store, stocking shelves, and we're going to be good. And she goes on and on, making the story even more like the parents are like freaking out. And at the end of the story, she stopped. She said, none of that was true. I got a D on my midterm. But like, you know, I'm not pregnant. I'm not getting married next week. You know, like, it's good. And so like that kind of idea. Think about when these things happen. Thank God for what didn't happen. You know, we think sometimes when like this, this one negative happened, like we got in a, an accident and, and you're, you're thinking about, oh my gosh, the insurance, the car, all these things. But you think about on the good side, like no one was injured during this accident. We think about what didn't happen. I mean, and I know the, the hurricane um, that came through here has just ch- changed lives for so many people. But think about what didn't happen. I mean, 
A couple of months later, we had a hurricane go through Florida at a stage four. And thank the Lord that Florence didn't hit us like it was planning to. But if we change our perspective and begin to look at what didn't happen in those situations, it reframes us. And a lot of this is changing, you know, instead of looking at this pessimist, oh my gosh, you know, as soon as something negative happened to us, we begin to think, why, what have I done? Why does God not like me? What is he punishing me for? So we look at those things and we begin to thank God for what didn't happen. Another one we can do is we can practice pre-framing. See, our belief determines how we behave. So we can practice these things in advance, how we're going to respond. We can play with our framework. You know, when these things happen to us, and we we know, I mean, if you're a parent, you know certain things are going to happen in your lifetime, so prepare for them. I'll I'll leave the blanks empty there. But having children, uh, and my oldest just turned 17 last week. You've made it so far, Lydia. Good job. Good job. But, I mean, framework. we we got to think through, like, how do we practice this pre-framing? If the framework of how we see things is going to influence how we respond and act, how do we practice that? We go through scenarios. We begin to thank God for these things that didn't happen, and we begin to, in advance, begin to lay a framework of who God is for us. So this is what Paul had done while in prison. So if he didn't have, if he hadn't practiced his pre-framework, if he hadn't laid down who he was in Christ, if he hadn't, like the things that we read at the end of our service last week, if he hadn't known who he was in Christ and known who God is and know the goodness of God, he could look at God through a lens that wasn't true. He go, what, 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 why am I in jail? Why does God not like me? Instead of going, this is going to benefit what God is doing, pre-framing. And here's another one. We can look for God's goodness. So you know that you normally find what you're looking for. If you're looking for something, if you're looking for something bad to happen, what normally happens? If we're, we're, we're waiting for this one thing to happen, this one, you know, if we frame it around everything else and we begin to look for the negative, that negative, we normally find it. But if we begin to look for God's goodness in everything, begin to declare God's goodness in everything, there's so many scriptures in this and it goes on a little bit later at the end like four or five verses down there here's another clear indication that paul had changed his framework altogether so he's in jail uncertain of where this is going to end in his release or his death but in philippians 1 verses 21 which is going to be on the screen behind you it says for me to live is christ and to die is gain. He had set the pre-framework of going, hey, if I get to live, if they let me out of this jail, it's going to be for Christ's benefit because I'm going to be here. I'm going to be able to minister to people. I'm going to be able to be his hands and feet. But if I die, 
I get to be with Christ. So he's looking at either side of that scenario. He has looked for the goodness even before it happened. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. One of my other ones, uh, Romans 8.28. I love this one. I love Romans 8, by the way. Talk about it a lot. Romans 8.28. It says, and we know that that for those who love God, that's key there. So uh, the promises of God, just like the ones that we read out last week, aren't for everyone. The promises of God are for his children. So and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. What? What if? I think here's a verse that you could write down and put everywhere this week. In your car, on your office desk, on your mirror at home, everywhere. Could you imagine looking through the framework of this and going, I'm going to frame what I see through this lens lens of everything, for all things work together for the good. So if you are a child of God, Everything, good or bad, because all things mean all things. So if something really bad happens to you today, the framework that we see in it is going to change how we respond. All things, everything, every, I mean, think about your, think about in the last 12 months, things that have just wrecked you or things that have happened to you imagine if you would have seen those through the framework of everything God works to the good. And I'm not saying it makes that scenario good in that moment. It does not make the scenario good that you lost, your house got flooded. I mean, that, it, there, I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about like, oh, God is good. I've had eight feet of water in my house. What I'm talking about is God is working to the good things in and through that. Because I don't know if you know this, but if you are called to be a child of God, if you are a child of God, it will be the hardest thing you ever do. It will be work. I mean, just what we've talked about just in how we think. It will be effort on your end to go, I want to live in and be in that place. I want for every scenario for me to go, it is for the good. Could you imagine? Because most of us, the older you get, you get to look back on things and realize this one event that seemed horrible, this losing your job or this one thing that happened in the moment, it was the worst thing that ever happened to you. And the older you get, you get to look back and you get to see what God did in and through that. Could you imagine that this pre-framework, what I think he's talking about, is almost like it, it's, it's having the hindsight now. Knowing that down the road you're going to get to see what God did in and through this. The lessons that you've learned. The change in your life and the influence. Just like in Paul's imprisonment. It emboldened the other church people. It emboldened them to speak the name of Jesus. Could you imagine in and through that. That we would just see all things as God doing for the good. Am I I batting 100% on that? 
No. It's work. And I'm going to tell you, every time you don't respond the right way, stop looking at yourself and going, oh, I didn't respond the right way. Start looking at how can I pre-frame for the next situation of going that God is good. How can I look at it through the lens that if God is allowing this in my life, that he is leading it to our good and to his glory? Imagine what it would change in our relationships with other people if we stopped looking at them through the framework of our preconceived thoughts. And I know it's hard. I've been married for a while. You know, some of those bad habits that you pick up, you know, you just see your spouse through that bad habit and you assume that that bad habit is going to be there every time. I made a commitment to Jody. She didn't know this. This is me, though. I'm going to make fun of me. Um, that I would take out the trash, that it would be my job. I fail at that one a lot. And I've had children that could help me out, but they don't. And so we have one of those little metal trash cans that has an inner, you know, like a tube that goes in it, and it makes a specific noise when you step on it. And when you make that first movement of that thing up, you know where I'm going? And I I know my failure by a sound. I can hear it. I I know that I I should have. And and sometimes I even when I'm trying to get better, like my my, because sometimes I don't I don't put stuff in the trash all the time. I mean, I don't leave it in our house. I just don't, you know, well, I do create a lot of trash, but sometimes I use the other one. But instead of looking at it and going, it's getting close, because I look at it like my normal job is pressing down. Because like, you know. Trash bags aren't cheap. You know, I want to be conscious of that. Instead of doing that, just empty the trash can so that she would see that trash can midway full all the time and go, man, that guy loves me. He loves me. Instead, I hear the trash can. But can you imagine all of these things? Jody, when she's taking out the trash, now sometimes she gives me a hard time. She's like, (laughs) man. You know, but for the most part, she's not getting. So in my mind, I'm framing it around like she is angry. I'm in trouble. Like she's going to torture me later. But she's not doing that. She's just like the trash needs to be taken out. I need to take it out. She's not looking at me through the framework of going that worthless. I've told him I've told him this a million times and he doesn't love me enough to take out the trash. She's not thinking that, but I think it. So I want to get in that position. Could you imagine if all of us right now would decide to even be intentional with how we're framing up how we look at people? I mean, how would it change us when we're driving down the road? I have a pre-frame where I really think everybody else that drives around me is evil. I mean, I think they're out to get me. I think they're out to cut me off. It's like a little race. I don't know about you guys out there, but like you think, like Jody's like, why do you feel like you've got to go around them? Because I'm going to win. <laughs> like anybody else, I don't know what happens to me when I get in the car and I'm like, <laughs> <sighs> but imagine if we literally got in our car and I've started this new thing um, over the last two weeks. Um, where I'm using my morning time, I'm cutting off my radio in my morning time. The first time I carpool, so I don't do this with my children in the car because we carpool with another little girl. It might be weird if I just start 
praying out loud. And she's like, whoa, whoa, what's going on here? But when I'm in my car alone, I've tried to, over the last um, two weeks, of just being intentional, of just going, hey, God, just starting a conversation. Let me today be conscious of you around me. Let me see what you're doing. Because could you imagine if you intentionally change your framework in the morning, going, God, I want to see you in and through people. I want to be used by you. And can you imagine if you begin to do that? Here's a statement that I stole that I think is good, and we're going to close on this so our worship team can come up. We don't interpret... God through our circumstances. Again, this isn't mine, but you can totally write it. Great statement. We don't interpret God through our circumstances, which is what we do. We look at what's going on around us and we start, we begin to think about thoughts about who God is because of our circumstances. So we don't interpret God through our circumstances. We interpret our circumstances through the goodness of of God. Let me read that again. We don't interpret God through our circumstances. We interpret our circumstances through the goodness of God. If you are a child of God, God is good. He is working everything in your life to your good and to His glory. Truth. I mean, Romans 8, 28, if you struggle with that reality, read that verse. If you are one of those who, are, who love God and have surrendered yourself to Him, everything that is going on in your life is for your good and God's glory. You've just got to preframe it around that truth. Because if you're in the middle of it, like, if you imagine this beautiful picture of a sky, and on this side it's like all these beautiful colors, the sun is setting, and on this side is the clouds that, you know, as the sun's setting, the clouds get dark. We can, we can look at this same picture, and we can frame it around these beautiful images of the sky changing colors as the sun's going down, or we can take that same image, take a different frame, and look at the dark, ominous clouds. Same picture. But it is your work to change the frame of how you see things. Those truths. Paul reframed his life to where he can say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And to say that all things work together for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. If you're struggling with that today, this next three to four minutes is for you. Because you can struggle with it and like not deal with it and, 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 and it be this annoyance in your life. Or you can struggle with it and, and go literally in this next three to four minutes during worship and say, God... I'm struggling with framing your love around what's going on in my life. And have a conversation with God the Father about that. Take His truths and reframe how you're thinking about what's going on in your life and let it be changed. 
Because life is not going to change. The things that are going on are always going to be going on around us, but how we frame them can change today. So as we close, I just want you to take a few minutes as we worship. You can sit there. You can stand up and sing. You can take a, a kneel, uh, kneel down. You can, there's going to be prayer people up front. Uh, if there's things going on in you, maybe there's a framework that you cannot get rid of. You cannot not think about this through a certain lens, and you need literally God's help in changing that. Then ask. Let's pray. Dearly Father, it is by your grace and mercy that we right now can hear the truth of Paul's words. Lord, I pray that you would allow us to have his vision, not his vision for Rome, but have his vision to to see his framework, to see the truth that even in the midst of his imprisonment, you were doing miracles. You were changing people's lives, even as he was in prison, chained 24 hours to guards. And Lord, right now, we need a framework change. We need in our lives the ability to see you in the moment. And so, Lord, we just ask right now that that you would do in us what we're unable to do. That you would help us, one, see that our framework is messed up. Two, that you would give us the ability and power to reset a new framework that you would allow us to change our cognitive biases and that you would allow us to see that how we frame our story matters. And Lord, for those in this room that can't claim your promises because they're not your child, Lord, I pray that you would invade their space just like you did Paul. Lord, that you would let them know that you love them so much that you sent your son to this earth to live the life that they are required to live, to enter into your presence, to enter into your kingdom. That you went to the cross willingly to pay the penalty for their sin and all you require is a life surrendered to that truth And to your son. And so Lord I I pray that you would call people into that reality. That our framework from that of the world would be changed to a framework of you. Your loving son. What you have done in and through him for us. And Lord we just thank you right now for the work and power of the Holy Spirit. To change what we are unable to. So, Lord, we just ask as we worship that you would open our eyes and ears and our heart to see, hear, and experience you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.